This is from Gilbert uh, Chesterson, and he writes this about believing. He said, the problem of disbelieving in God is not that a man ends up believing nothing. Alas, it is much worse. He ends up believing anything. And you can see that today, right? That you can clearly see is that these people who are called themselves atheists or agnostic and they oh, I don't believe in God. But look at what you are believing. And it's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> and so I guess they're winning of some kind of a victory <laughs> that they have. But so we've come to our series today and it's our, we've been talking for the last few weeks on glory to glory and the importance of the believer and the fact that we can glorify God and and more importantly, that we are reflectors of God's glory. We reflect God's glory. The opportunity that as you and I are spiritual, as we are filled by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's at work in our life, that we're being transformed from one quality of glory to the next. Now, there is this thing, and, and so he, Paul says it, and we'll see it in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're being transformed into the same image. Now, this is really interesting because if you listen to a lot of people today, they will tell you that man is made in the image of God. And that probably everybody here has heard that said. Now, I'm going to show you in Scripture that that's absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. Are you going to call these unsafe men and some of the perverted things that they're doing, that they are in the image of God, the God of the universe? That's absolutely not true. But it's, it's just people say it ad nauseum and they just say it over and over and over and over again. And that's what's interesting about things is people say things that are absolutely not true. And because they're said so many times, people believe that they are. You can repeat a lie. I don't care how many times you repeat it. It ain't going to make it more true. And so what does scripture say? You and I are in Adam was created in the image of God. Right. And when you go back and you look in the Hebrew there, it actually has a, what is a definite article in front of that. Adam, more specifically, Adam was made in the image of God. You and I, when we're born into this world, sorry, Sophie, we're in the image of fallen Adam. We're in the image of fallen Adam. And this you can clearly see. Just look around you. Look on your news. Look at the newspaper. You can see men who represent the image of fallen Adam all over the place. And let me just show you a scripture so you'll say that that preacher said that I don't believe it. Well, don't argue against me. Just argue against scripture if you're going to argue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <laughs> Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, um, Paul is talking about the different bodies that... Uh, exist and that we have a body now that's suited for this earth but there's going to be, be a body we're going to get in the future that's going to be suited for heaven I think I just heard a rocket go off was that a rocket okay oh okay <laughs> that was Noah's head a different kind of rocket <laughs> okay I always want the rapture to occur on the day when a rocket is going off wouldn't that be neat <laughs> You just kind of wave at the rocket as you're going up, right? <laughs> and so notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, what is being said here. So he's talking about these different bodies, and this is a body that we have now that is suited for this earth. But we're going to get a body suited for heaven. 
And he, in the process of that, tells you that this body that we're in now is made after our papa, Adam. And so notice, he says in verse 46, how be it was not the first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of who? Did it say God here? The earthy. And who's the earthy? Adam. Adam. Notice he says, in the future... We shall bear the image of the heavenly. And what we're going to see today is that transformation is already taking place. That as the believer is able to allow the spirit to do the work, there's a transformation process that is being undertaken. And it's going to culminate at the rapture with our changed bodies. And what does John say in 1 John? We don't know what it's going to be like when we see him, but we know we will be like him. We shall be changed, and we're going to look just like him. This is an amazing thing. And you understand today that you and I as believers are being transformed, and we'll see what that means. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have these unbelievable things that you've done for us and are doing for us in this life. And so it's just so amazing that as we understand the truth of what you have done and what you are doing, it really blinds out anything else. It causes us to have the power to be able to live this life in a way like nothing else can cause us to live it. And we're so thankful that as believers that we have been given grace from you to be able to partake in this. We certainly didn't deserve it. We have done nothing to earn it. It is totally a result of your grace. And we're so thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so in Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, we were here last week and we left off and Paul was talking about he contrasted this new covenant versus the old covenant. And in the old covenant, there was a quality of a glory that was manifested. And remember, Moses had a quality of glory that was seen as he came in contact with the uh, uh, commandment that was written in stones. And he had to put a veil over his face so that the fading of the glory could not be seen by the Israelites. And then Paul went into the 18th verse and he says this, but we all with open face are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. No, this is he in this verse says a mouthful. This is a lot of information that he packs into one verse about what God is doing to you and I and through you and I in this life today. 
you should never ask yourself, what is the purpose of this life if you're a believer? I would hope that you would know and that you and I are vessels being used by God to manifest his life on this earth. That's what our purpose is. And if you, are, if you believe the world and what they tell you to do, you're going to get sidetracked on all, the, all kinds of other things. You're going to be running around with a little a bald head. I shouldn't say bald head because I have one. <laughs> like the little Harry Krishners in the airport. What, what's the meaning of life? Right? Trying to find out what the meaning of life is. When scripture very clearly shows us what the point is of what we're supposed to be doing here. Now notice what he says here. We're going to talk about this glory to glory, and then we're going to see how God practically uses you to glorify himself. It's all throughout the New Testament. This is no small thing here. And so he says that we are beholding as in a glass. Now, for a long time, they didn't have mirrors, and we talked about this last week, and probably would be a good thing if they didn't have mirrors today. Some people stay in front of them too long. (laughs) (laughs) Some people don't want to see what's in front of them. I'm one of them. (coughs) But this word beholding, it's actually a word, and it's from the word arao in the Greek. The word arao means, it's a word that, so you have several Greek words that look at sight or seeing something. And it's interesting that he uses this word because you can look at something and glance at something. You ever going down the street and you kind of glance at something, you see it, but you really don't see it. Then you look at something, as my wife does when we're in the airport and traveling, and she gazes. She's watching it as it goes on. People watch? Anybody people watching here? She, oh. <laughs> she watches it, and you're watching intently the things that you're seeing in front of you. And I would uh, def- give it the definition here, to gaze at a person or a thing with mental assimilation. And so you're learning as you see this thing or this person in front of you, you're saying, oh, huh, that's what that is, right? You're learning something. You're gaining information. And just as an example of it, um, let's, let me give you an example here, and, and we'll look at the Acts example in uh, Acts 8.23 of Peter's observation of Simeon <laughs> in um, Acts chapter 8 and verse 23. So here you have an illustration of this word of arao as it's used in Acts chapter 8. And if you know the context here, Peter, um, uh, is that right? I think it might be Philip, not Peter. Is it Peter? Acts chapter 8 and verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Peter. Uh, I've got to stay with my outline. <laughs> uh, so Peter is talking to Simeon. As he goes down to uh, Samaria and notice what he says to him. This guy is uh, he was uh, had to kind of hoodwink people with some of the things that he did there in Samaria. And uh, as Philip came down, he tried to emulate him. And notice in verse 20. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive. So why did he say, I perceive? And so this idea of the perception that he had here 
was that, or really you could say, I see. So he didn't just glance at him and come to this conclusion. He had watched what he was doing. And by watching what he was doing, he came to this conclusion that he's getting ready to tell him here. So the, the word that is translated, he says, I perceive is I see, and that's our word for rao. He's watching what he's doing, and now he's able to conclude. I perceive that you are in a gall of bitterness and a bond of iniquity. You know, it's in, really interesting, some of the things that they're telling you to do today. The society is telling you at large, don't discriminate. Don't believe what you see. Your lying eyes are telling you, <laughs> right? Don't make distinctions. Well, if you follow that and you listen to what they're telling you to do, you're going to be a mess. A mess. If you don't make distinctions and you are not looking and coming to conclusions about what you're seeing, you will be a mess. They're telling you the wrong thing. They really are. And so this ideal of a ra'o has this ideal to be able to gaze at something and to see it. There's observation that is going on, right? And so now you see it in a compound form with this word going back in the second Corinthians chapter eight. I mean, chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. And so we have, have our word and it's translated here in verse 18 uh, we actually have several words that translated beholding as in a glass. Well, you have a compound form here and it's broken up into two different words. This kata means according to or down from or the word optimal uh, to allow oneself to be seen or to appear. But in composition, it's translated beholding as in a glass. Now, I'm going to give you several definitions of people and how they define that word because it's really important. Reinhard Karajas defines this word or this phrase, beholding as in the glass, to produce a reflection in the middle voices that you're doing it for yourself, to look at oneself in a mirror, to contemplate something. A.T. Robertson gives this definition. There is an inscription in 3rd century B.C. with the, this word, to look at one's reflection in the water. And then you see it used um, also... I would give it this definition, reflecting ourselves as a means of gazement by others who are able to see with mental assimilation the glory from one who is Lord. You see, that you are reflectors. You and I are able to reflect you think that you're going through life and your life is just meaningless and there's purple, there's no point to it. Well, if you're not spiritual, probably so. I'd agree with you. There's pointlessness to that life. But when you're being filled by the Holy Spirit and you're being used for the purpose that you and I are put here for, there is, point, there is a point to everything that we're doing. And there is nothing that is wasted. And what are you doing here? Paul says that we are reflecting outwardly. That we've talked about the fact in the past, who's seeing this? Who's watching this? Well, I think men are watching. But you know what? I think even more so, 
that spirit beings are watching what's going on here. They're learning something about God and how they see him work through your life and my life. And so notice this ideal here, he says, this, this reflecting out. And so what are we reflecting? <clears throat> now notice he goes on to say, you are um, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Or really, I would say we've talked about glory. Remember, we're talking about what it's glory. Glory can, if you look at your um, chart that I gave you here concerning the Lord, that glory could be manifested in a lot of different ways. It's an opinion. And it could be manifested in a lot of different ways. You see that in the, uh, at Mount Sinai, it was manifested in the burning bush as the pre-incarnate sun. In the tabernacle, there was the glory of the second person that was there and also in the temple. During Christ's earthly ministry, did you see a ball of light following him everywhere he went? You didn't see it, did you? Why? What was he manifesting? God's life. John 1.4 In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What are we manifesting? God's life. An opinion is being shown forth about God's kind of life as it's being seen out through you and me as we allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Now, you may not realize it, but when you were saved, so right now we're manifesting life, and I do think that there's going to be an outward manifestation of light, that as we get our transformed bodies that body is going to manifest light, radiant light. And you can go back to the garden, and before the fall, you can see that what did Adam and Eve have? They manifested light. And so, uh, right now, though, that whole thing of life is what's in play. God's life. When you were saved, what you didn't realize is that you and I were regenerated. And we were regenerated in the realm of our human spirits. And not only that, the Son came to indwell within you and I. Do you know that when you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and he was raised again on the third day, that all three members of the Godhead now have taken up residence in you? Do you know that what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's showing out the Son's life in you? As we are filled by the Spirit, the Son's life is being manifested through us. So what's being reflected? Life. Now why is this important? Because in this fallen world, and we'll come back to this issue of glory, in this fallen world, the world does not and has not seen this kind of life. Look around, do you see it? When was the last time you saw the fruits of the Spirit on display in the world? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness. Oh, I knew you saw that on the news last night, didn't you? <laughs> right? You just don't see it in this life. So what is your job, if you will accept it? To be reflectors of God's kind of life.
on display for all men to see. And we'll see that what happens is that happens in your everyday life. In everything and how we conduct our life, you'll see that God uses that. Now, notice he says we are um, going back to verse 18. He says, but we all with open face are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Now, notice here, this is interesting what he says and are changed into the same image. That word for changed here, um, we understand this word. It's a fancy word in Greek, but we use it all the time in English. Metamorphosis, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I wasn't very good in school, but I did remember that a caterpillar, a butterfly starts off as a caterpillar. Everybody realizes that, right? It's just the most unbelievable thing. That you look at this caterpillar, and we used to have a lot of them in our house growing, uh, uh, not in our house. <laughs> well, we had a lot of things in our house, but not caterpillars. <laughs> I'm not so sure we might have had some of those too. But we used to have a lot of them around our house, and you would watch these caterpillars as they were on the trees and whatnot, and how you could see that this. It, it was hard to believe that this changed into such a beautiful being, a butterfly. And it underwent this metamorphosis. And that's our word here. This word for meta is, to, to, is with, and the word morphe is a form or shape. And so the ideal here with this word, with that ending, is it takes a, it's being taken into different forms and shapes is how this is happening. And this is being used concerning you and I. That, so now you're manifesting God's kind of life and there is a transformation taking place in which that life is being seen out and being tr- and changed into different forms. And I believe more intensely as the believer grows. You ever looked at your pictures? You ever put your picture? I don't like doing this. I'm thankful. You know, you can't get a lot of pictures of me from when I was younger. <laughs> there are some, but if you put them up next to each other, you see a transformation taking place, right? From the time, I mean, nobody wants anyone to see their baby pictures, right? Some of them are tough. <laughs> and then you see this fourth grade picture. High school picture, college picture, then after 60, it starts getting rough. <laughs> but you see a transformation taking place. Do you know that that kind of transformation takes place in the believer as the believer is growing and maturing and the opportunity for that glory to be to take on different changes and notice what he says here. He comes back into it and he's going to say, what are you being changed into? Notice that we're changed. Now, I'll give you this definition. And, it, and I would translate it to be changed from the inside out so that outward, the outward appearance reflects the inward reality of an entity. So Christ is in every believer. He's in every one of every single believer. The moment that you believe the facts of the gospel, he's in every believer, but he's not being seen out. And every believer. But every believer has that potential for that to happen. 
Um, I like it the way Dr. Schaefer used to say it, one of my seminary professors, he says, the angels are watching believers and they're coming and they're reading what is going on in the life of the believers. And with many believers, they come to them and it's just an open blank sheet. Nothing to see here today. <laughs> There's nothing going on here. Why? Because the believer is showing forth nothing. Nothing. I wonder if on the other side of this, when we get to the Bema Seat Judgment, we're going to see 2020 what God wanted to do through us. What is our thinking going to be? I don't think that we're going to cry crocodile tears. But I wonder the effect. When we see what God wanted to do versus what we actually allowed him to do. And I, I keep saying, I think we're going to ask for a mulligan. Can we do it over? Can I get a do-over? Because I think what happens is that the world system, Satan, and our own fallen nature keeps us going down the pathway, totally outside of what God's will is for our life and what he would want us to do. And, it, and it's, it's a distraction. And so no, notice this word for change as you see it in composition with the assumed preposition. And I would uh, define it. You see this word for metamorphosis is used in several areas. And it, and it says the change is in harmony with the likeness of that which is changed into. Uh, the focus is primarily upon the outward appearance of the transformation. And so Christ is indwelling every believer. And now as the believer is transformed, he's seeing more and more on the outside through the life of the believer. An intensifying fashion. And what do you see as the believer is able to manifest that? God's kind of life. Galatians 5. Love. Joy. What is joy? You cannot make up joy no matter how much you try. Joy is an appreciation that you have for God's circumstances in a situation, no matter how trying or difficult they may be. You can appreciate the fact that God's in control of it. You can't make that up. You can try, and I've seen people try to grit and, and their teeth and try to make it. That's not joy. Peace? Do you see people out in the world with peace? For that matter, do you see a lot of believers with peace? Peace is an unruffledness of mind where you're not agitated in your mind, where your thoughts and your mind is settled. You're not jumping from one place to the other. Oh, what, uh, uh, is this? what am I going to do? Oh, oh. They call it panic attacks. I call it satanic attacks. That's the reality of it. Let's call things what they are. It's not panic attacks. It's satanic attack. Now we know that from scripture. Right? And so notice, you see this word for transformation used in Romans chapter 12. Look at an example of it in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> and Paul talks about, he uses this word about how the believer can be changed. And, uh, and it's when the believer is able to live in, in, in light of the provision that God has given for us. When you were and I were saved, it's body, soul, and spirit. We believe that man is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. 
where you and I were saved, we were saved in the realm of our spirit. Now, how do you know this? Well, you can clearly see, <clears throat> if you were to look at my high school pictures, I used to have an afro. Hard to believe, right? <laughs> it used to be way out here. We've been changed. <laughs> in the wrong way, right? <laughs> and so, but when you, when you live, we've been changed in the realm of our body, I mean, our, in the realm of our spirit. So our body and our soul are yet to get everything that's coming to us. That's going to happen at the rapture. Our spirit right now is where we need to operate from. We've been changed in the realm of our spirit. As you live there, it changes how you see this life. And the Holy Spirit is able then to work with you from that realm. And so notice, this is what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you that would offer you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, really your logical priestly service. And so God purchased you when you were saved. We don't belong to ourselves. The moment you, fa- you believe the facts of the gospel, God purchased you. You belong to him. To use in this life as he desires. And notice in verse 2 what he says. And be not conformed. I really, I would say, tr- stop being conformed to this word world as age. But be transformed. How? And I would translate this, not the renewing of your mind. You don't renew your mind. Your mind's already been renewed. Who did it? The Holy Spirit. The moment you were saved, how tragic it is today that we have such a great treasure where our spirit man has been changed and most believers don't even live there. And so what he says, you'll be transformed by the renewedness of your mind that you might be able to put to the test, approve what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God has already done it. You and I have to allow the Holy Spirit to cause us to be able to utilize it. God's done the work. Well, let me show you one other scripture where you see that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, that your mind has already been changed. All the Holy Spirit is waiting on is for you to actually use it. (laughs) I mean, many of us don't. Why? Most of the time, we're just in our souls. You hear that guy make the song, I'm a soul man. (laughs) For a lot of people, that's all they are. Their emotions are just carrying them away. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23. Verse 22, he says that you put off uh, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed, how? In the spirit of your mind. See? Your spirit has already been changed. You just have to live there. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. But we're so busy trying to do it ourselves. I mean, 
we are working like the Dickens and just working on coming up with all of these things and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. And so this word for change and that we are transformed. And so this word for metamorphosis back in 12 uh, be and it's transited in 12 to be transformed. And what is that transformation? Allowing what's inside to be seen on the outside. And how does that occur? By the renewedness of your mind. And how does that occur? By allowing, as you put your mind and you count those things to be so that God says about who you are. Who does the work? You or the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit does the work. You know why people are so discombobulated today? They think that they're so smart, it's on them to do it. Oh no, we... We've got a lot of new information today. You just don't understand. You old people, y'all didn't know what we know today. You know what I've seen today is I've seen a lot of information, but I've seen people who are less intelligent today than they were before. A lot less intelligent today than they were before. A lot of information, but that information don't mean that you understand it. And that's what's happening. And so notice we're, we're being transformed. Notice he says into the same image. Now, notice that same is going back. Um, he's going back to this image. And notice in 2 Corinthians 3. Second <clears throat> uh, Corinthians 3.18. And so the word for image is an interesting word. It, um, let's go drop, drop down the image first. The image is a reflection or placed on an object that inspires a remembrance or adulation of a known personal thing. And so you can see that, uh, for example, in Matthew twenty two twenty, when uh, the Lord asked, the, when they asked him about paying taxes, he says, show me the coin whose image is on it. And so they said Caesar's, he says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so you have this issue of image, and it's a very important thing. I want to show you one other place in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14, how important this is used to be an, an, an image reflects the one that was in control of things, right? 13 and verse 14. And you're going to see a, a little bit of that in the tribulation period as the man of lawlessness. And some people say we're in the tribulation period today. No, we're not. If you think this is the tribulation period, you're going to be shocked by what the tribulation period is going to really be like. <laughs> this is going to be nothing in comparison to the tribulation period. Nothing. These will be like the Andy Griffin days. <laughs> you will be looking back on these days saying, those were the good old days. <laughs> that's how bad that's going to be. So notice in uh, Revelation 13, and notice in verse 14, you see this word for image used. <laughs> and so, so there's this man of lawlessness that's coming onto the scene. And, um, and so he's going to do certain things and, and also... Um, there's going to be what Paul didn't realize at the time that he was alive, that there was going to be another person that comes onto the scene and he's going to be this false prophet and he's going to have all the power that the first beast has. And so what he's going to do, and you're going to see it in verse 12 of Revelation 13, is that he's going to tell people to worship this beast and to worship his image. Well, you can see some of this today. Well, one of the things that they're um, it says it's going to happen here is that you won't be able to buy, sell, or do anything unless you have this mark of the beast. And so you can see 
very clearly some of the things that they're trying to do. Verse 12, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And so this um, prophet comes and he what they're trying to do, I believe, is set up an unholy trinity here with Satan being emulating God. The false prophet or the beast imitating Christ and then this false prophet imitating the Holy Spirit. And notice in verse 13, and he does great wonders so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And verse 14, and he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do. And the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And so that they would make this image. And you can see this even going all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar and the image that was made in the third chapter of Daniel. Something that would reflect who this person was and that people would be able to fall down and worship it. Now, this same image here, I think, is going back to the image of Christ and that this image, the believer can bear this image or reflect this image and being changed into the same image. And notice we're going to see going forward from glory to glory and how that looks for believers. And if you would just do a little word study on glory, glorified, glory, it's amazing some of the things that God does through the believer in bringing glory to himself. Not me and you, to himself. A lot of the problems, again, can be solved with people when they see You've been told this life is about you. I can solve all of your psychology bills by telling you it's not about you. It's about God. And when you live life that way, you'll see this life in a totally different way. And as a believer, God can use you and transform you and be glorified through you. And that makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to be used by you to bring glory to yourself and the opportunity that as saints that uh, you could uh, work through us as you've provided all the things that we needed to be able to allow this to happen. And we're thankful that as believers that you provided it totally apart from anything we've done, totally by grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen.